Good morning. Good morning. They're all warmed up now, Dean. <laughs> that was actually a test for Dean to see if he was going to respond enthusiastically. <laughs> this morning we're going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Glad to see you here. I hope you brought your Bible with you. Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11, the word of the Lord says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. We come into your presence Our Father, this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we give thanks for the Word of God, for all that is in it from cover to cover, for all of the hope and the promises and the encouragement, for all of the expressions of divine love. We also thank you for the warnings, because we know that they are necessary. Everything in the Word of God is good. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to approach your word, with serious hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we might, with John, who wrote these things, enter into that scene of judgment. We pray that you would bless our time together, and that you would speak to our hearts, and those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, Today would be that day for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you don't have to have a college degree to guess what we want to talk about this morning. From the text that we have read, we want to talk about Judgment Day. We've been studying the book of, or in the Gospel of Luke, the life of John the Baptist. And you'll remember that one of the things that John the Baptist told the people when he began to preach, the first word he said was, repent. Breaking 400 years of prophetic silence, the first thing he had to say was not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. As true as that may be, and is, the first thing he had to say was repent. And we saw at the ladies' study on Thursday, we were discussing the ministry of John, his public ministry, when he finally began to speak, and how he spoke to them about repentance, how he spoke to the people about redemption, He talked to them about the Lamb of God and how he spoke to them about retribution, which is not when God corrects or reforms, but when he punishes wrongdoing, when he brings the punishment that is deserved upon those who are doing wrong. And we said when we spoke about retribution that it isn't a very pleasant subject, but it's a very necessary subject if we're going to have a complete and correct view of God God cannot be the friend of good 
without being the enemy of evil. And so when we come to the great white throne here in Revelation chapter 20, we're not coming to anything new and and surprising to those of us who know the word of God because this throne was seen by the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. It was spoken of by the Lord Jesus in the book of Matthew. He spoke to them about those who would be burned with unquenchable fire. He spoke of the judgment of God as much as he spoke of heaven. He spoke of hell. And so we come to this subject this morning and we want to ask ourselves if it's possible for us to go there with John and see it as he saw it. You know, back in 1990, uh, CNN, uh, the news network, made itself uh, popular or well-known around the world because they were there in Baghdad when the bombing began, when the 1990 Gulf War began. And those correspondents were right there. And from the top of their hotel, wherever they were staying, they were filming and giving the commentaries as the cruise missiles came in and the bombers went overhead. And everyone remembers it. Because you had the eyewitness report right as it was happening of those things. And, of course, again, uh, when the invasion came uh, not too long ago, and they rode right on the tanks and right on the helicopters with the people, and it was the first time that the American public felt they were right there on the front line in real time seeing what really happens in a war. Well, not just the American public. The whole world was watching it. It was all over the television in Spain and all over Europe. But what we have before us today is a lot more serious than the invasion of a country. The scriptures that we have read this morning and that we're going to consider together are an eyewitness account by someone who didn't hear about it. He didn't read a book about it. He didn't prepare a philosophical discourse about it. God took him up in visions of God and allowed him to see what was going to happen. Notice with me the words of John, uh, John the Apostle when he says in verse 11, And I saw. He didn't say, they told me, or I learned, or uh, we think there might be, or uh, our convictions demand that there must be. He didn't speak about it that way. He told people what he saw. And my friend, eventually everyone in this room today, believer or not today, is going to see and believe in that great white throne. I saw it said John. So, you can dispute it with John, but not with me. Because he's the one who saw it. I saw a great white throne, he says, and him who sat on it. I saw him. I saw the throne. I saw the one sitting on it. And he says in verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So, when we read these things, we want to remember that this morning. We're not reading a story. We're not reading something that was a dream or something that someone invented. We're reading what a holy man of God was taken up by God and allowed to see. He was allowed to be there as a witness in that, of that great event that for us is in the future, but is as real and current in the mind and the heart of God as this morning is for you sitting here and listening to this Bible study. The judgment of God as we have said, is necessary. God has done everything he can do to show us his love. He has expressed his love, and this morning we were remembering it in the Lord's Supper. 
where the bread and the wine remind us of how Jesus Christ came into this world. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and the bread speaks of his body. He took a body. He became incarnate. He came to this world. And in that body, he went to the cross and he suffered and he died for us. They pierced him and his blood ran out. And the cup reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Peter, who some people consider to be their first pope, but they don't pay much attention to what he said. He spoke of Christ and he said, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He didn't say every time we have a mass, we're sacrificing him and he's continually bearing our sins. He said past tense, he did it. He bore our sins. It was an event, just like some of you are going to graduate this week or next week. You're hoping to graduate. I hope you make it. But you're not going to be graduating all your life. It's an event that takes place at a point in time. You're not continually graduating. And Jesus is not continually dying. Christ died Past tense, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I don't care who else says anything different, who they may be, what city, and what church they may control. The Scripture says he did it, and it's past tense. So God has done everything he can to show us his love. The Son of God came into this world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But God's love often goes without a response on our part. And that's why Judgment Day is coming. God loves sinners, but God hates sin. And as we saw last week, the scripture tells us very clearly that God will not allow into heaven anything that defiles. And we read those lists in Revelation 21 and we saw very clearly what God has stated about heaven. Well, what will happen then to the people who don't love God, to the people who don't follow, who don't respond to Christ? What will happen to those people? Revelation chapter 20 tells us what will happen. But the poet has said it in this way. What will you do in that great day when heaven and earth will pass away? When all the pomp and glory here like a morning dew shall disappear and you from out your lonely tomb shall stand in judgment's awful doom. When God's great trump shall wake the dead, where will you hide your once fair head? What will you do? Where will you go amid that fearful scene of woe when none can help and all alone you stand before the great white throne? What will you do when lightnings flash? This wide world quivers, thunders crash. The earth shall melt with fervent heat, but you, oh, where will you retreat? Not even the grave can hide you more, for death and hell their dead restore. O awful day, Who would not be sheltered, O Lamb of God, in thee? 
safe at thy side, when wild and loud the shrieks of that unnumbered crowd shall rend the heavens and fill the skies till judgment's doom shall end their cries. Where will you be? Judgment day is coming. Where will you be? John saw it. He says, I saw a great white throne. And let's think about that throne for a moment. And that place and that time where he saw it. If you read chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, uh, from the beginning right through to the end, you'll see that the time of the great white throne is at the end of the millennium. After that thousand year, that wonderful and literal thousand year rule of Christ on the earth. For he's coming just as sure as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. He promised to do it. The prophets saw it coming. The apostles saw it coming. The word of God testifies to it. And he's coming to set up his kingdom. But after that kingdom is over, chapter 20 and verse Uh, six verse seven i should say not the kingdom is over but the thousand years are expired because the kingdom is forever and he says in verse seven when the thousand years are expired satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth gog and magog to to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed about the camp of the saints the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where are the beast and the false prophet, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then John says, and I saw a great white throne. So Christ comes to set up his rule on this earth. And after the thousand years of his rule on earth, Satan will be loosed. Christ will continue to rule. But now his adversary will be loosed and he will go around deceiving people. We don't know how long it's going to take. The scripture doesn't tell us how long. But the nations will gather together once again in rebellion against God. And that will be the final battle. Not much of a battle. Fire will fall from heaven And destroy that great multitude. And that will be the end. So. When we're talking about the great white throne. We're talking about a place and a time. Beyond this earth. After the thousand years. After the judgment of the last rebellion on earth. After the devil is cast into the lake of fire. And has no more influence on anyone. He's not in the bottomless pit anymore. He's in the lake of fire. And he's not coming out ever. It says tormented day and night forever and ever. He's not going to be uh, annihilated. Nor are the beast and the false prophet. You notice it says. When they threw the devil into the lake of fire. What does it say? In verse 10. Where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. And they aren't burned up. Because God's fire burns, but it doesn't consume. Just like that burning bush. Where the beast and the false prophet are. And there they will learn what real suffering is. Forever and ever tormented. 
it says, tormented by the flame, tormented by their conscience, tormented by their memory, tormented by their sins forever and ever. And after that time, when the earth is gone, when the rebellious of earth are gone, when Satan is gone, all sinners will stand before God to be judged by him. No place to hide. Peter spoke of it in Second Peter. Chapter 3, he says in verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Not only... Peter says, not only are are the rebellious and the ungodly of earth going to be destroyed, their rebellion destroyed by fire from heaven. Not only is Satan going to be taken and cast into the lake of fire from where he will never come out, but the earth itself is going to be destroyed. John says it here. Peter said it in that text we just read. The earth, the heavens, and the earth will melt with fervent heat and be dissolved and disappear with a great noise. The universe as we know it. And the physicians, uh, the, the, the physicians, the physics majors don't have any uh, explanation for this. This is not the big bang that they think. This is the big dissolving. Everything is going to disappear in an instant of time. And who holds it together? And who keeps that from happening right now? The Bible says our God does. He holds all things together by the word of his power. That's the only reason it doesn't dissolve and melt down right now. And so he says, this is going to happen. And then in that context, he says, I saw a great white throne. So we know the time and we know as far as we can tell from here, the place is going to be somewhere off of this earth. Because this earth won't exist. It's not going to be on another planet because the planets won't exist. It's going to be somewhere out in that eternal dwelling place of God. Somewhere out on, maybe someone said, the outskirts of heaven. 
the court of heaven, the tribunal of heaven, the place where God dwells, and there he'll hold his court. He says there's no place to hide. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. What does that mean? It means just as we saw in Second Peter 3. No more heavens and earth. No more universe as we know it. No more solar system. No more galaxy. The heavens and the earth will all melt and dissolve and pass away. So you could say the heavens and the earth will be annihilated. But not people. Not people. You have a soul and a spirit. And you will be somewhere forever. And that's why we see in this awful scene before us, in Revelation chapter 20, he not only saw the throne, he not only saw the one who sat on it, but then he says in verse 12, he saw the dead. didn't say he saw a dead man. He didn't say he saw a dead woman or a dead child. He didn't say he saw the slaughtered in battle. He's not talking about... From the verse 9 of this chapter, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. He's not talking about people slain on the battlefield. He's not talking about body bags. He's talking about the dead. All of the dead stand before God. You've seen dead in pictures at least. And some of you have seen I've had the unfortunate and sad experience of being in the room with a person who has died. It's a sobering thing. But I bet you never saw a dead man stand up. I bet you never saw a whole room full of the dead standing. And John saw it. He says, I saw the dead. In this place, away from this earth, at this time when earth's history is no more, and before God who sits on this great white throne, all of those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ will stand one day. No exceptions will be made. I saw a great white throne. And that's the first thing I suppose that many people are going to see. In the book of John, the Lord Jesus speaks about how he's going to call one day. The Son of God will speak. And those who hear the Son of God will rise. They'll hear the voice of the Son of God and they'll rise. He's not talking, in one case, when he says that, he's not talking about the happy resurrection of those of us who belong to the Lord. But we know that to be absent from the body, those of us who are believers, is to be present with the Lord. We know that when a believer dies, he dies and and his body is laid to rest in the hope of resurrection. In the hope of a happy resurrection. To go and to be with God. For the Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He promised life, eternal life, and the joys and the blessings of heaven to all who belong to him. But he didn't promise it. To everyone who just believes in God. He didn't promise it to people because they follow the golden rule. He didn't promise it to people because they try to do the best they can. He didn't promise it to people even because they attend church. The church of their choice. 
He didn't promise it to people who try to be ethical. He said, he who believes in me, he who trusts in me. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So everyone else will come to God, but they won't come to the Father. They'll come and stand before God on that day. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. What would it be like to be to hear that voice of God rise and go to judgment and to rise out of the grave and to stand there and find yourself in a great multitude before that throne? And the first thing you see is the throne like John. And the next thing you see is the one who sits on the throne like John. And you look around and there's no heaven and there's no earth. And you look around and and all the other dead are there with you. It's not a story that people tell to scare and manipulate other people. Any more than your doctor tries to scare you and manipulate you when he tells you you have cancer. He's telling you about a serious problem. He's not joking. And he's not doing it to try to manipulate you. He's telling you the truth about what's going to happen so that you can prepare for it. And John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet Daniel, we spoke of that earlier, way back in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. In his prophetic vision, in verse 9, he says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Awful scene. Impressive enough. For those of us who sit this morning in the chapel here and read it, how much more impressive would it be to stand there before that throne and to see the Ancient of Days, Almighty God, sitting on the throne, not a judge who can be bribed, not a judge who can be impressed by slick lawyers, no jury. And in fact, no lawyers. No one's going to take that lawyer and argue. There won't be any defense team like certain celebrities have and have occupied the news for months now. Trials that drag on and on and never seem to end. And of course, the media loves it because it gives them something uh, to sell constantly. God's judgment is not going to drag on and on. 
God's judgment is not going to be a place where people are going to argue. God's judgment is going to be a place where they're going to listen to what the Ancient of Days has to say. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul said that the law, God gave the law. It was given to those who are under the law. He says, whatever the law saith, it saith to those who are under the law. That every mouth might be shut and all the world guilty before God. Do you think you are an exception to that? All the world guilty before God. And so the judgment of the great white throne is not to discover who's guilty and who isn't. The judgment of the great white throne is not where they're going to have some scales to put them out and see if the good outweighs the bad. The judgment of the great white throne is not going to be to investigate and find out who's innocent and who isn't. The judgment of the great white throne is going to be to justify the eternal judgment of God against all sinners. All unrepentant. All who have not trusted Christ. God will demonstrate. And when those people go forth from that judgment that day in the great white throne, into the lake of eternal fire and suffering, awful scene that it is. None of them will disagree with God. Everyone will know that he or she deserves exactly what he's getting. And God will be justified. God will be shown to be righteous and holy. And he will even be shown to be loving because there is a book of life. And my friend, the only way to get into God's heaven is to have your name written in that book. So John saw the throne. It's great and white, which speaks of the righteousness and the purity, the holiness of God. Solomon had a throne, King Solomon, and it was a throne with, uh, overlaid with ivory. And it had lions on each side of it, the steps leading up to it. It must have been an impressive thing to go into Solomon's palace. And stand and look at that throne. I've been into the palace in Madrid and seen the throne room where the, where the king of Spain would sit and hold audience. And we stood there and looked at that throne and we thought, wow, we don't have that in our country. There's nothing over here where there's a place where there's a throne where the king sits and where there's a scepter and he holds court and decrees are made. We don't do that. We have a Congress and a lot of other Influential bodies. But when the king speaks, it's over. And we stood there and we looked at that throne. And we thought, it's impressive, but it's not great. And it's not white. And it's not in eternity. And that you know what? The day I saw it, there was no one sitting on it. Court was not in session that day. But the throne that John saw had someone sitting on it. And in the book of Psalms, we're even told, book of Psalms we love because of the comfort we get from it, from the praise we find in it. But you know the doctrine of eternal punishment, the doctrine of the punishment of the wicked is even in the book of Psalms. Psalm 5, for example. Verse 4, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. 
The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. You are not a God who takes pleasure in iniquity. The psalmist knows how God is. And when the Apostle John says in Revelation, I saw the throne and I saw him that sat on it. And he knew who was sitting on the throne is the one from Psalm chapter 5 or the fifth Psalm. The one who does not take pleasure in iniquity is sitting on the throne. The one who, according, go back to the, the Psalms and let's, let's read uh, just two Psalms further along. Verse uh, 11 of Psalm 7. God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 9. Verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That's a promise. A promise that God has made. This is how he's going to deal with wickedness. And when John looked and he saw the throne and he saw the throne was set for judgment. That's why they have the throne. And he saw the one who's sitting on the throne and he knew this is God. This is the ancient of days that Daniel saw. This is the one of whom David spoke in the Psalms. This is the one of whom the Lord Jesus spoke in the Gospels. This is the one who's going to judge the nations, who's going to judge all of mankind. And every person will have their day in court. But they won't have their lawyer. Just their day in court. So there is a righteous judge. And not only a righteous judge, but a judge who needs no one to argue the case because he knows everything about everyone. And he's going to open our lives like books. And he's going to look at every page. And he's going to judge everything. I saw the throne, he says, and I saw the face. I saw him who sat on it. And how is it going to be? Well, we know about the time and the throne. We know about the judge. Let's think about the accused. God is going to summon. It's not up to you. You can't make an appointment or postpone it. God is going to summon. A time will come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And live, it means they will rise. We're not talking about the resurrection of the believers when the Lord said that. We're talking about the ones who are going into judgment. There is a resurrection of life and there is a resurrection of judgment. And so in one sense we can say every human being is going to know the resurrection. Some are going to be resurrected into eternal life and blessing with God. With the Son of God in whom they have believed and trusted. To whom they committed their souls from whom they sought and received forgiveness for their sins. So many other people who just believe in God, and so many who do not even do that. Many who say they believe in God, but their lives, the way they live and their practice, they're practicing atheists. God is not a part of their daily life, and He's not going to be a part of their eternity either. So many people... Who refuse to believe what God has said. The all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving God. 
who has sent to us someone to show us the way to heaven. Someone to take our sins and to suffer for them and to take them out of the way. Someone in whom we can put our trust, who can forgive us and assure us of a place in heaven. And yet we dare and presume to believe that all roads lead to heaven. We dare and presume to believe that it's not necessary for a person to have this, as they say, narrow, restricted view of God. And there begin their criticisms. I would hate to have to take my criticisms and stand before God one day and repeat them. What will you say when you stand before the great white throne? Do you think you will accuse God of having a narrow and restricted view? At his right hand stands the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Not by Mary, not by the Pope, not by the saints, not by the sacraments, not by giving, not by charity, not by good works, not by integrity, not by anything except by Christ. The way, the truth, and the life, he said. And so, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. They're going to be summoned out of the graves. And they're going to be reassembled. Body, soul, and spirit that sinned. Body, soul, and spirit will stand reassembled, resurrected there before God to receive the reward according to their works. God promised it. And many people want it. They say, I just want to be, I don't want to be judged for if I understand all these doctrines. I just, I'm a good person. I just want them to see that I try to do more good than evil. And I just want to be judged for my works. God's going to judge you for your works. Don't worry. And I feel sorry for you. The dead, small and great, stand before God. John saw it. What a multitude. What a horrifying sight. All of the dead standing there. Just waiting. They weren't having a party. The people in Spain say, oh, I want to go to hell. Because that's where all the musicians are going to be. We're going to have a big party in there and dance. That's the way they talk. They think it's funny. So you're not going to have any parties. The dead are going to be there, but it doesn't say they're dancing before God. It doesn't say they're having uh, picnics or playing or joking. They're just standing there, standing and waiting for their turn at judgment. God resurrected them and God put them there and they're not going to move from there until they go off into their eternal punishment. The accused are not the living. If you feel accused today while you're living, consider yourself blessed. Because it's better to be accused while you're living and be able to do something about it than to be accused when you're dead, when life is over and you have no more opportunities, no chance to rectify, no chance to repent. And there is, after death, no second chance. The dead were judged, he says. Where did they come from? Well, it says in verse 13, that verse that confuses a lot of people, it said the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up 
the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. What does it mean? The sea and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. Well, he's talking about the place where, where the body and the spirit go. Where are they buried? Death there means the tomb. They're buried at sea. They're buried in the tombs. And, and hell or Hades is that word where the departed uh, unbelieving have gone. He says they're all going to be brought out. The body with the spirit and soul of those people put back together again. No matter where they've been buried. At sea or on the earth. And their body and spirit will be reunited and they're going to stand before God. The de- uh, death or the grave gave up the dead that were in it. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And all that have died are going to rise and stand complete before God. And then the process will begin. And what is the process of the judgment? The process of the judgment is given to us very plainly here. It says in verse 12, The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. It says in verse 13, at the end, the dead, uh, they were judged every man according to their works. So we have in the process of the judgment of God on that great day that's coming, books. It says the books were opened. So there's a pile of books and they set the books down. And then there's a book by itself. He says another book. And that book is there. But the books... These first ones that he talks about here in verse 12, the books were opened. And that's the books that they're going to be judged out of. He says, they were judged out of those things that were written in the books, not the book. The books, according to their works. One time in our ministry in the prison in a certain city in Spain, a young man professed faith in the Lord, and uh, when his time was done, he was from Portugal. When his time was done, we, we took him, and uh, we drove to Portugal with him, and we introduced him to a, a missionary family and an assembly there in Portugal to help, his, help him get off to a new start in life. But there was one thing that he had to straighten out before he could um, settle down in a Portuguese society again, and that was when they had the war in Angola. The Portuguese, you know, were the ones who had Angola as their colony, when they had the war in Angola, uh, he was supposed to be drafted for military service, and he had fled the draft. And God, it's a funny thing, uh, because the, he went off into Europe, and he joined the French Foreign Legion. He, he didn't want to go to war in Portugal, so then he went and joined the French Foreign Legion. It's kind of like a no-brainer. What was he doing? What was he thinking? Well, then he deserted the French Foreign Legion. He got in trouble with them. It's usually the death penalty for doing that. But at any rate, now he's going back to live in Portugal and he has to straighten out his, his um, account with the government, his record. He has to clear it. So we went with him one day to the, the building where all the military records were. And we walked in and we, they asked him where they keep the records and they told us. And we went upstairs and there's a big counter, a huge room like the size of this room with books all over the walls from the floor to the ceiling. Books, books, books everywhere. And desk all, all in the middle of the room, and people working at the desk. And you came to the counter, and there's a window there. And then we explained to them, and he said, you know, I was supposed to be uh, go to military service, and I didn't do it, and I, I want to make, uh, I want to rectify that, and whatever has to be done to make it right and clear my record, I want to do it. 
So he turned himself in. He was hoping for an amnesty, and uh, short, or the end of the story in short fashion is there was one. But he didn't know that. And so the lady says, what is your name? D'Souza. Okay. And so she wrote it down. And when was it? And he told her the year, and off she went. And she went up and up and down the aisle there. And she saw she finally got onto a ladder and, and got up there and picked up this huge book and brought it over to the counter and set it down. Started turning through the book, turning through the book. And finally she got to the page where it said, Ah, yes, in 1980, in April of 1980, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, you were ordered to appear to present yourself for military service, and you didn't do it. And I'm standing there watching all of this, amazed. Because I'm thinking about the great white throne. The books were opened. And my friend, if the Portuguese government can keep records about its citizens that way, don't you think God can keep records about us? Do you think God is teasing you? Do you think God is blowing smoke when he says the books were opened and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works? What's in those books? Your life. What's in those books? Your works. What's in those books? Everything about you. And it's all going to be judged. And it's all going to be seen. God knows very clearly his law. He doesn't have to have it written on tables and books for him to refer to. He knows very well what the law is. And the books are going to show if we've kept it. The books are going to show if we're righteous. The books are going to show if we're holy. The books are going to show if we're as good as God. Because the scripture said, as we saw, nothing that defiles will enter into heaven. So if anything defiling is found in us, then we will not enter into heaven. The New Testament says if a man keep the whole law and offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So all there has to be is one offense. And the law is broken. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. And many people in the world, many people in the world are not going to get any further than that. And they're going to hear the, the swing and the pound of the gavel of God. You shall have no other gods before me. Guilty. Some people have them as idols. Some people have them as images. Some people have them on cards. Some people have them and they hang them around their neck. Some people have them in their hearts and they're invisible. Some people's God is their hobby. Some people's God and one man said one time when he, he married a beautiful woman and he took her to uh, present her to other people in the church and he said, this is my idol. Within a year she was dead. You shall have no other gods before me. Guilty. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other gods. God is intolerant. God is inflexible on this point. No other God's before me, he said. You shall not make unto you any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. 
In Spanish it says, No te inclinarás ni lo rendirás culto. You won't, you won't give, when it says serve them, we say rendir culto in Spanish. It means to attend to them, to light candles for them, to put flowers before them, to bow down, to pray to them, to have a religious service for them and in their honor. He says you won't make them, you won't have them, you won't bow down to them, you won't render to them any religious service at all. That's the second commandment. Guilty. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I don't know how many times in my years in the Air Force I had to remind people, even people, even men that outranked me of that. And say to them sometimes, would you mind just using your mother's name and what you just said instead of God's name? Because the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And so people soft pedal it. And instead of taking the name of the Lord openly, they say it in other ways. Jeez. And things like that. And they're really saying the same thing. And you know, I don't have to review with you all of the, the uh, minced oaths that people use to cover up what's really in their hearts. And sometimes it's thinking it and not even saying it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord told us how to pray and he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Guilty of swearing in the name of God and taking his name in vain. No profaning the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in our days, we're not uh, under the law of the Old Testament, but in our days we have the Lord's Day, don't we? We call it the Lord's Day, but is it the Lord's Day? Does He get the whole day? Should we call it the Lord's morning? Or the Lord's hour? Remember it to keep it holy. One day in seven to keep it holy. Oh, but we don't really need to go to church. I mean, that's just a... I can worship God anywhere. I can think of a lot of places you can't worship God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Not everyone can say that. We saw that last Sunday, didn't we? In the book of Malachi, what did they say? Oh, what a weariness it is. Keep God's day holy. A lot of people would rather be out sailing. They'd rather be climbing the mountain. They'd rather be playing a a good game of ball. They'd rather be sleeping in, having brunch, going to the movies. God doesn't get a day. There is no hallowed, sanctified day. And what are these people going to do in heaven? Well, they're not going to be there, but what would they do if they were there? They'd be bored. There's no basketball courts in heaven. There's no hockey games in heaven. There's no baseball in heaven. 
there's no Wall Street in heaven. There's no nothing to do like that in heaven. They'd be bored in heaven. They don't like to go to church. They haven't seen anything. Now, they don't want to go to heaven. They just don't want to go to hell, you see. But the only other choice is heaven. Where the Lamb of God is going to be worshipped. Where people, all people who love the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be happy to be with him and with each other for all eternity and to have fellowship together and to talk with the prophets and the saints of God of all ages about the holy things of God, to do God's will and to serve him. Why would people who don't want anything to do with God down here and God's people down here, who don't want to worship him and learn of him down here, who are too busy or too disinterested to do it, why would they want to go to heaven? You don't want to go to heaven. You just don't want to go to hell. But that's your only other choice. Honor your father and your mother. Did you lie to your mother when you were small? Did you steal from her purse? Did you tell your parents you were going to one place and you went to another? Did you say you did your homework when you didn't do it? Did you get into an argument and blame it on the other one when you know you were the one that started it? Did you talk back? Did you criticize? Did you whine and complain? Did you confront your parents? We say in Spanish, plantar cara. It means to just plant your face right and get in their face. Did you do that? You know, well, maybe not with your father. In some cases they do, but a lot of times the poor mothers, the children speak to them in a way they wouldn't speak to their father, and they respond to them in the way they wouldn't speak to their father, and God says, guilty. Honor your father and your mother, and if you dishonor your father and your mother, that's just as serious as fornication and adultery in the law of God. Just as serious as murder in the law of God. Honor is an attitude. It's not just a tone of voice. It is a tone of voice, but it's an attitude of heart. It's a behavior that God looks for from us because he established our parents and authority over us. And he says, thou shalt not murder. And the Lord Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. Guilty. And you're not going to send people to anger management seminars. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, if you look at a woman to lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. You commit it, first of all, in your thoughts. And people who would never do it Simply for fear of being caught or for fear of suffering the consequences, not because of love of God, but simply because of that, have done it thousands of times in their hearts and their thoughts. And God says, guilty of adultery. Thou shalt not steal to take anything that doesn't belong to you. It doesn't matter if it's a fountain pen or a ballpoint pen from work or a paper clip. Thou shalt not steal. W.P. Nicholson, great preacher, 
in Northern Ireland in times gone by. Years and years ago, preached. I think I told some of you about this one time. And he, he preached repentance from sin. And he preached about the practical things that the Word of God has to say about our sins. And people began to get saved. And the people in, there were a lot of factories in that area. And they began to take back to the factories the tools that they had stolen. The men and women who worked in the factories had taken them home and were using them at home. And they began to take them back. And, and so the factories got all their tools back. And then they got more back because they, for a generation the, the tools had been being stolen. And the factory would just replace them. So they built a little tool shed to put all of the extra tools in that people were bringing back because they were repenting of their sin. They realized that what they were doing was wrong and God was speaking to their hearts. And they wanted to make restitution. And finally they made an announcement. They said, please don't bring back any more tools. We don't have anywhere to put them. Thou shalt not steal. We steal time and every other resource. Thou shalt not make illegal copies of computer games and CDs. Thou shalt not steal. And God is going to know, isn't he? And he's going to look at our whole life from beginning to end and he's going to say, guilty, as soon as he finds one theft. Only one. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It means to tell a lie. And we saw that in Revelation, didn't we? That no one who makes a lie will enter into heaven. Liars are going to be on the outside. But it also means, false witness means to say something that's not true about someone else. That's slanderous and incorrect about someone else. That's a false witness. Thou shalt not bear false witness, the Lord said. Sins of the tongue. But then we come finally to the tenth commandment, which is thou shalt not covet. And coveting is a sin of the faults. You can covet being a paraplegic. You don't have to be able to move. And who among us has not coveted, desired to have something that belonged to somebody else, desired to have something that wasn't ours, been unhappy with what we had and lived with a desire to have something else that consumed us and all we could think about was having it? Thou shalt not covet. But in the context of the law, it says, Your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. To want what other people have. Guilty. Sins of thought. And so when the books are open, my friend, and God begins his awful work of judgment, omniscience, all-knowing God will judge and he will begin at the first day of our lives and he will begin from day one of your life and walk all the way through and he will turn the pages. And if he finds on any page, anywhere, any sin of thought, word, deed, or omission, if he finds one sin anywhere in there, it will establish the fact that you have broken the law of God And that you have the sin in you and are defiled and you cannot enter into heaven. 
It doesn't take hundreds of sins. One little sin weighs more than all the righteous deeds that you could do. You can never erase by trying to do more good than evil. One little sin weighs more than everything. The dead were judged by those things which were written in the books according to their works. And so God is going to do that. And so many people say, I just want to be, I try to do the best I can. I believe in the golden rule. I believe in, like we say in Spain, I be in no meat as I can. Just do good and don't consider who you're doing it to. Just try to be a good neighbor. I just want to be accepted for that. I try to be the best person I can. God says, that's not what you're going to be judged for. You're going to be judged for all your works. To discover if you are a sinful person? No, not to discover it. To demonstrate that you are one. To show you why you can't go into heaven. Because nothing that defiles will enter into heaven. And so these people are going to be resurrected. Hundreds and thousands and millions of them. They're going to stand before God. And Daniel says the books were opened. And the dead were judged. And the judgment of God will demonstrate why it is not possible for any of these people to go into heaven. And he says in verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It means the contents. means the dead, body, soul, and spirit, the dead of these places are all going to be cast into, they won't exist anymore, they're all going to be cast into the lake of fire. These places are going to go away because their contents are going to go. The people are going to go up to be judged and then off into the lake of fire forever. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When God gets through going through the books of your life, when he gets through going through all the pages of your life and demonstrating the sins, and if you only sinned one time a day, you'd be the best person in this room if you only sinned once a day. And that'd be 365 sins a year. And if you lived to be 10, that'd be 3,650 sins. And you do the math. You're better than I am at it. Most of us here today are over 10. God's not going to have to turn very many pages. And the sins are going to be piling up. And the sins are going to be piling up. And the scripture says, the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. God swore it. He promised it. He taught it. He warned us. But we do not want to believe him and take it seriously. But there's coming a day, my friend, when you will take it seriously. Only that day will be too late. Better to take it seriously today, or as my friend said, better to settle out of court. Don't wait until that day. Don't wait until that day when, after going through all of those pages in that book and establishing over and over again, time upon time, your sinfulness and all of the charges against you. And then he goes to the other book and he opens up the Lamb's Book of Life and he begins to look through it. Let's see. Your name begins with K. Okay, let's see. K, K, A, K, B, K, C, K, D, K, D. K-N, K-N, K-M. Oh, I don't see it here. It's not here. Your name is not here. 
You never repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your name's not in the book. Look again, it must be there. Let's see, wait a minute, what was the name over here? And he spells the name just right, looking in the book, and he comes back to this one, and he begins to look through it again, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and he begins to run down the list, and he says, not there. And he turns the book around, and he says, see, not there. Into the lake of fire. Into the lake of fire. And the angels take that poor, condemned person away. A person who will have to say for all eternity, I know that God exists. I'm not an atheist. And I know that God is love. Because God had a book of life. The Lamb's book of life. And God sent His Son. And God's Son died for me at the cross of Calvary. And I didn't take it. I wouldn't take Him. I didn't believe in Him. And they're going to go off into eternity. Not complaining about God. But hating themselves. Oh, what a fool I've been. God is love. And I didn't love God. God gave me all His love and I didn't love Him back. I didn't take His love. God gave me a son and I was too busy. And with an awful wail, off into eternity. Eternity is a long time to be lost. You remember one of the gospel series that we did? We, I gave you, shared with you this poem. About eternity. Come, O my soul, thy certain ruin trace, if thou neglect the Savior's proffered grace. Infinite years in torment thou must spend, which never, never, never have an end. Yes, thou shalt dwell in torment and despair as many years as atoms in the air. When these are spent as many thousands more as grains of sand upon the ebbing shore. When these have fled as many yet behind as forest leaves when shaken by the wind. When these are gone as many to ensue, uh, to ensue as blades of grass or drops of morning dew. When all these doleful years are spent in pain and multiplied by myriad times again. That could afford some ease. Could I suppose that then thy dreadful years... We're at a close. But oh, I tremble and I shiver at that awful word forever and forever and forever. You've been to the judgment seat of God today with me. We've seen the throne and the judge and the condemned, the accused. And we've learned about the process and the end result of it all. Those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have trusted in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world. Who went to the cross as our substitute and suffered for us. Who died for me. It was for me he suffered there. It was for me he bled and died. It was for crimes that I have done. He groaned upon the tree. And we know the gospel. Christ died for our sins. We did the sinning and he did the dying. But knowing about it is not enough. Is your name written there on the page white and fair? The Lord Jesus told the apostles when he first trained them and sent them out and they were able to do miracles in his name and they came back rejoicing and he said, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Because one of them didn't have his name written in heaven. One of the twelve was a traitor. 
One of the twelve was a false professor. One of the twelve was right in there with all the others, but he wasn't going to be with them in eternity. He said, rejoice rather because your names are written in heaven. I want to ask you this morning. I know your name just like my name and everybody else's name is in the books of works. God has records. But is your name in the book of life? Has there ever been a time and a place where you have repented of your sin, where you, you know, you recognize it's truth. The books are opened. You're a condemned person. If you were to die today and stand before God and he were to open those books, you know, like they say, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell. God has the goods on you. And the books are not going to be cooked. Have you come to the place where you realize that you are a person who needs to be pardoned, forgiven, and cleansed, and that Jesus Christ can do that, and he alone. The church can't do it. I can't do it. The hymns can't do it. The people can't do it. The services can't do it. Resolutions and self-reform can't do it. Only Jesus Christ can do it. And that's why it's called the Lamb's Book. The Lamb's Book of Life. The Book of Life. He says in verse 27 of that next chapter, 21, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus Christ and he said, Behold. He said, Look. Look. And that's what I say to you this morning. Look. The Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I counsel you this morning in the light of the judgment seat of God and the eternal punishment that he has surely decreed will come to look to Jesus right now. Look to him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go to him right now and say, Lord, I'm the sinner you died for. Flee the wrath. Who has warned you to flee the wrath to come? I have this morning. You can never say you weren't warned. You can never say you didn't know. Because you are here today and you heard this message. You have been warned. And you know. But I just don't, I don't want to just free my soul from that by warning you. It would be our greatest joy to welcome you as a believer, a repentant and humble believer in Jesus Christ into the family of God today, if you would take that step. And we're going to ask you to do that as we pray now. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the love of God. We thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into this world to save our souls. We thank you for all that he suffered at Calvary for us. And we know that What he suffered there, beyond what the Romans did to him, was his spiritual suffering for our sins. There in those hours of darkness and agony, he suffered for me. He bled and died for me. My sins put him there. He came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And as I thank you for his salvation this morning, I pray for those who today still do not know it. Those who foolishly are still clinging to that golden rule. Who are still clinging to their integrity. Still clinging to their good works or their religion, their tradition, their philosophy. 
but not to you. Lord Jesus, we know the book of life is yours. And in its name is written everyone who trusts in you. And so we pray for those whose names are not in that book today, but are only in the books of works. That today might be the day when they come to you in simple faith and say, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. Write my name in the book of life. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.